everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Writer's Haven. Musu here of Musu Writes. And this week's episode is, I think it's a pretty good one. I'm talking with author Keith Belvin. And he's been in the game for a minute. And we really get into the thick of things when it comes to talking about the author's journey. When you choose to tell your own story, you know, what really comes with the package? What do you what you really need to think about? And, you know, how you should strategically move forward. He offers some excellent points, made me think, and um, hopefully it'll make you think as well as far as the steps you're taking, whether you are starting a business, you want to become an entrepreneur, you're trying to write a book, whatever endeavor you're you're trying to, to do in order to um, establish yourself as far as helping folks you should really listen to this episode because he has a lot of good things to say and of course his information will be available is available in the the links in the description box and he also um, mentions it towards the end of the podcast so please take a listen and let me know what you think and again as always thank you for tuning in (laughs) all right so um, yeah, tell me a little bit about um, Keith, you know, kind of like an intro for, for those who, who, don't, who don't know who you are just yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I am Keith K.L. Belvin. Um, some people may know me as K.L. Some people may know me as Keith. Um, I started out as K.L. Um, Belvin, so a lot of stuff that I did earlier is under that writing name. And then I decided to use my government name since because I wanted to add that to some of the things that I was doing. So if you ever want to do a Google search, it would be K.L. Belvin or Keith K.L. Belvin. Oh. And mm-hmm. I am a New York City, former New York City educator. I now live in uh, Dover, Delaware. And I am pretty much a, a man that used to be what a lot of men are, is misogynistic and a man that just thought he it was all about him and sex was my, my main focus. And after so many years of just trying to do what I wanted to do, me and the Lord had an encounter and my life changed. And from that moment, um, it has been about trying to help uh, women who have been victimized by men like I used to be, as well as trying to teach men how to to be something different. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have a master's degree in education, actually curriculum writing, assessment, and teaching. So I specialize in teaching teachers how to teach. And um, I have a second master's degree in human service counseling. And as I say in all my videos every morning, afternoon, or whatever I'm doing it, I use everything that I have to try to help other people because the Lord stepped in to help me at a time when I needed them. So I use everything I got to try to help other people. And that's really who I am. And of course, all the particulars, I do own a small um, literary uh, publishing company, which I help authors who want to self-publish. So I provide the literary services that they need mm-hmm. to be able to self-publish their work. I'm a four-time published author myself. I've been a part of five anthologies. My wife and I have been featured in Ebony Magazine. Um, I've, I've tried to do as much as I can do within the sphere of who I am. Um, and I still got a whole lot more to try to do. So that's, that's I guess, what you would say who I am. Okay. You, it sounds like you got a, a pretty um, attractive portfolio there. You've, you've been there. Yeah, you've, you're doing a lot and you're still doing a lot. So that's good to hear. Now, if I could make some money, we'd be great. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
never say no to that. No, 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 I'll take the payments, but you know, a lot of it you don't get paid for. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with your journey as an author. I know you got you have um, a few books out. Um, Our Bond is Our Gift, From Gigolo to Jesus, mm-hmm. and The Lukewarm Saint. Now, Lukewarm Saint, that that book, you know, <laughs> um, not just the title, but the, the book cover itself, because, you know, the guy, he just looked like he's up to no good. But at the same time, it looks so relatable for those of us who grew up in the church. Can you tell me a little bit about um, that book? And then we'll get into your journey as an author. But I want to start off with what I'm saying. Um, first and foremost, I want to say thank you so much for picking up on the, the cover design because I try to, with my covers, create something that creates thought. Um, I did come up with the idea for this, and then I searched out an outstanding cover designer out of Philadelphia, Gregory Graphics, and the book is book one of a three-part series. So this one is, you see the mother and grandmother on the cover and the two friends um, surrounding him, and he has, he's praying or in the praying position, but he has this devilish look to Exactly. And the reason why is because the book is centered on a young um, Brooklyn educator, and I happen to be from Brooklyn, and I happen to be a former educator. Okay. A Brooklyn educator who is torn between his love of the flesh, love of women, and then being torn between a friend that's saying, man, bed down as many women as you can, and another brother that's connected to the church who's saying, man, you really need to change your life like I did. He has a mother and grandmother who's saying to him, you know, it is these women that destroyed your, your father and your grandfather, and, and you really need to understand what happened to them. And actually, I talk about that in the book also. Mm-hmm. The premise is anybody who's ever been connected to the faith, um, ever been connected to church, knows that every Christian lives two lives. They have the life that they want to live for God, and then the life that they're actually living. Now, right. how close they get to that life that they want to live is what's really going to take hold of their walk. Some of us are only doing it in voice um, voice only. Some of us are really struggling with this flesh, and some of us have tamed this flesh, and we're living as close to as God has created us as possible. The problem is most of us won't admit to where we are. And so with Kevin, I wanted to show whether you were connected to church or not that life has consequences, choices have consequences, and you're affected, it may affect those that are around you. So it may not just be you that have to deal with the consequences. It may be the people that hang out with you. And I think anybody who's been connected to the faith understands that, you know, the crew you hang out with, things are going to pop off one way or the other, whether it's for the good or for the bad, the question is, whichever is going to be. And so with this book, being book one, because this is Lukewarm Saint, it's, it's to lead you through the series, and it's three books in the series, Lukewarm Saint 2, Fox in the Hen House, and then Lukewarm Saint 3, which is Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sorry, Restoration. And the same cover, but different designs, because on the second cover, it's the same thing, but it's two women, a casket, and a pastor. Oh, so wow. You have to go, wait a minute, where was the casket? And, what's right. the-? <laughs> so, and again, the reason why I did it is because I try to teach in a way that doesn't come off as teaching or preaching the same way I was in the classroom. But I want you, when you're reading Lukewarm Saint, to go, yeah, I had a mother like that. I had a grandmother like that. Or I had a girl like that in my life. Or my boys are like that. And then when you see the choices that he makes and you see the consequences of those choices, 
I make it relatable because it's what we all deal with. Now, whether it's extreme or not, all depends on how you came up. Some people may say, yeah, I, I can relate to that. And some people say, I hope that never happens. Well, actually, that's what real life is. When right. I was in the classroom, I said people learn three ways because someone will say, don't do this, and they listen. Some people got to go out and watch others go through it, and then they figure it out. And then some of us, unfortunately, have to go out and crash our car to learn you shouldn't drink and drive. Right. And you know which you are, then the consequence is going to be dictated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and see, you made so many important points. I think the first thing that caught me was when you said it's not necessarily about being a churchgoer. You can relate to this story, mm -hmm. whether you're a churchgoer or not, because it's just life, period. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and from also, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like, um, uh, you know, this these books, this series of these books are, you know, uh, you're, you are a strong inspiration as far as the storyline in these books. Yes. So, it's, so I, it, we can say that the main character is based on, you know, your journey. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say this. I leave it for you to figure out because even my mother said, hey, this is you and da 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 I said, maybe. The, the, reason why, the reason why I'm being so vague with that is because it could be. Now, every author is influenced by something that they live, something that they've seen. Now, whether they use themselves or somebody else's life, I always pull from my life to in what I write. Now, depending on what I'm trying to do, this is a fictional story. But yeah, there's a lot in there that's me because I've lived it. But then if I tell you how much is me or I tell you what is actually me, well, then it kind of, to me, takes away from the fantasy. So I let the reader figure it out. Let them guess. And if they meet me and say, hey, was your grandmother, was your mother, or did you? And I think that was, hey, okay. And I got that when I used to write erotic work. Mm -hmm. I used to write erotic stories. Mm -hmm. and the tantalizing part was, you guess which story is real. So some women would be like, oh, that's got to be real. Or, you know, that's too, that's, that can't be real. And I would just sit back and laugh because the, the fun part is you don't know. So okay. just, just enjoy it. <laughs> I, and that's, that's the beauty of fiction. You exactly. can do all of that. You can mess with people, you exactly. know, um, because that's, you know, I'm also working on fiction and I'm driving my editor crazy because she's <laughs> about me and my journey. And then she's reading the story. And it's like, man, what in the world are you telling me? I'm like, hey, I leave that up to the imagination of the reader, you know, let them, let them decide. Exactly. And that's the fun part of fiction. But I think what the good part of it all is that if you then read some of my other works from Gigolo to Jesus or um, our gift, our bond is our gift, which is a self-help. The bond is our gift is a self-help. But from Gigolo to Jesus is my testimony. Mm. So read my testimony and you see how filthy I was. Mm -hmm. Now you can maybe go back to lukewarm saying and say, you know, he probably did this because as nasty as he put it in real life. Mm. He was nasty in real life. Well, oh, wow. the thing is that I don't, there's no reason for me to, to give you the details if it is or isn't because when I actually give you my testimony and tell you how nasty my life was, mm -hmm. it is to have you go, oh, that's disgusting because I got it from Paul in the Bible. When Paul met you, he didn't quickly let you know he was Saul. He let you get immersed into him as Paul and then he said, you knew me mm -hmm. as Saul. And they would go, wait a minute, the man that used to kill Christians? Yes. Mm -hmm. You had to make a choice. Either you rocked with his past or you just ran off. Because either way, he wasn't worried about how you felt about who he used to be. Right. And that's how I am with it. I leave you to figure out 
if you if my past is so nasty to you that you can't deal with my current, then nothing I say to you right now is going to matter. Exactly. That's on you and God. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm good yeah. with my past. That's yeah. why I put it out there. So, okay. So on that note, let's talk about your author's, your author journey. You sure. started out with erotic books. Tell us a little bit about that. Are they still out there? Did you pull them? And then just talk about how you went from that to where, you, you know, the type of books you're writing now. There was no erotic books. There was actually one that was close. Here's the thing. I was on my way to trying to be the male Zane. I had a ton of erotic stories that I was writing online. I had a strong erotic following. Um, I would write erotic poetry, and I had performed it in a lot of different places. Mm. And I was very well known. And again, it was a way to get women into the hotel room and stuff like that. So um, when I came to the Lord after my experience with actually hearing his voice, it now became a matter of what do I do? I can't be who I was and I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. So I felt I had to make a change. So when I created my first book called The Man in Transition, that's exactly what I was. I was a man in transition. I decided to write my poetry differently. So what I did was I wrote the poetry basically in, in chapters where each chapter takes you from the man that I was at the moment that I started writing or putting this book together leading you back to the very last chapter, which was the, the three, four, five of, of my erotic works, just a few that I put in there. And the reason why I did that, and I even said in the book, don't just skip to the dirty parts in the back. <laughs> is because I want you to see what I was at the beginning. And then when you get back to the fleshly parts, it is to show you that this is what I used to be. Hence, a man in transition. Now, it is for the reader to decide. I've had some church folks go, how could you put that in the book? Because that's what I was. Right. I put it at the end. If you did what I asked you to do, by the time you got there, it really should have caused you a little dismay in terms of, wow, he really made those changes. But if all you focused on was the negative, well, then that's on you. I've already purged myself from that. And so with that, that poetry book opened the door because I would, there was three pieces that I would pretty much recite on every interview, every show that I would do. And one was dedicated to my mother. One was dedicated to my wife and one was dedicated to uh, single, I mean, fathers, non-custodial fathers who are out here just trying to, to be the best fathers possible. And the reason why is I wanted to pull on heartstrings, but I wanted to touch on something that I knew affected everybody that heard it. Everybody has a mom in some form or fashion. Everybody has somebody that they, they believe is perfect for them. And every father that's out here trying to be the best dad possible when he's not with the mom, and every mother that's out here dealing with a, a dad who may not be doing what he's supposed to do. Those were the three pieces that I pretty much recited. And the book did very well. And it allowed me to get to a lot of places. And originally when I, when I decided to do poetry, people said, don't do it. Poetry doesn't sell. Man, I'm telling you, no one wants to publish it. So I published it myself. And then I said, okay, I won't promote poetry. I'll promote me because I'm the man behind the poems. And that's what I did. I told my story in poetry form but then that's what opened up the door to go ahead and write from Jigolo to Jesus because now that I had people interested poetry, poetic wise, I now had to tell the actual story behind the man that was writing this poetry. Okay, wow. So with the, um, you know, with still talking about your journey, mm -hmm. um, I, I'll say for myself, you know, I have um, a tendency of being a, a perfectionist. If I slip up or things don't go the way I have planned, I have a I have, I can beat myself up easily. So with this journey that you've taken with where you started to where you are now, if you don't mind, you know, um, discussing any 
setbacks you may have had or things that you you know that were really difficult for you to overcome hmm um no i don't mind I, listen i'm an open book i tell you before i have no problem answering any questions um no setbacks but there here's the thing as you start to change as anybody starts to change let's put it that way they start to see things differently so your vision is one of the first things that changes you just don't see things that you used to see appealing the same way so you just don't go to somewhere you just don't do the same things because it doesn't have the same feeling for you that it once did once you start to change your mindset that doesn't mean that the people around you have made that change. Mm. One of the things that you have to get comfortable with quickly when you decide to change is that you're going to lose people that you thought were your friends or were your friends, but were friends with the old you. They can't be friends with the new you because that new you just doesn't work for them. That's not their place. They don't like that. And so they're going to push and pull to try to keep you where they are. And you're going to have to make the decision because light and dark can't occupy the same space. Right. So you're going to have to decide, do I just continue to be what I was? Or if I become something new, I'm going to have to go this route pretty much by myself until I find a new tribe. That can be hard and it can be hurtful because people will take it personal because they did dirt with you. They've done a lot of nasty things with you. And now all of a sudden you brand new. Yes, right. I am. I, right. I really am. Oh, you changing. Yes, I am. It's called maturity. I always find that kind of funny when people say, don't be out here changing. Um, that's stagnant. That's stagnation. Right. <laughs> um, growth is change. <laughs> so when you mature, you change. And um, that's one thing. Also, when writing from Jigolo to Jesus, there's, cha there's a chapter that I wrote that, that, that talks about the abortions and miscarriages I was a part of. And it's actually 25 or more or something like that. I know it's some nasty number. And I know it's 25 or more. It might even be more women that might not have told me. Um, and when I write about it, I'm very candid about it is because at the time that you're trying to talk some woman into an abortion and, and, or she has a miscarriage and you get excited by that, you do because now you know you dodge the bullet of becoming a father. Um, or you convince some woman that you won't be a good father, so you want her to go and alter her body. When you're writing that as a changed individual and you now understand the damage that you've done to somebody's body because of your own whims, it's very difficult and it's very hard. And I even put in there uh, with my ex-wife when we went through um, her using RU486, the, the abortion pill, before it was actually regulated by the um, FDA, a doctor had said, well, this is an exploratory drug and basically said, but if y'all want to use it, no problem. We did because we already had two children and, and we weren't really in a position to have a third. Our relationship was falling apart. Mm -hmm. And I remember how callous I was when she was going through basically an abortion. Mm. I was just sitting there like, how long is this going to take? And I ain't trying to hear about you in pain. I was so separated from emotion um, because I had made it all about me. And when I look back on it, I understand why she hates me. And, I, and that's one of the things when I go out to try to speak to, to, to men and just women. First of all, I try to explain to women, I'm sorry. A lot of us men have no clue. We just don't know. So I can only apologize that it's ignorance. Also with men, I try to get them to understand is that you have no clue what we're doing to someone else's body. And in, in the long run, you can't get the person that now hates you to forgive you when you're the cause of their pain. You have to just let that go and let that person find a way to forgive you on their own. And if they never do, then keep praying for them and ask the Lord to guide them in whatever's going on in their lives because you can't be the cause and think that you're also going to be the answer 
because you may keep reminding them of something that they did. And then the other part that a lot of men don't think about that I have to live with is that there's at least three women that I think of. I know at least two, but I think it's a third who can no longer have children because of messing with me. Wow. And um, I'm friends with two. The third, I, we don't talk, but I believe we're in a good place. And when you talk to somebody and you see where your life is now, where my life is, excuse me, and then I noticed that they can't experience that. And I took that from them because of them dealing with me. And there's nothing I can do but live with it. Hmm. It hurts. But you also have to realize that naivete is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And when I go out to speak, I'm not worried about being hated. It's okay. Because you're supposed to hate the man that I was. I hate him. But I was him. And if I don't tell his story, and if I don't speak to other men, if I don't speak to women that there are men who are just stupid, but there are men that change, then I'm not actually aff uh, affecting change. I'm not actually being something different. I also know that my message is hard for some people to listen to. So I'm not shocked when some places don't want to have me come and speak. I don't, I don't worry about that. I, I deal with the people in the shadows. I don't really worry about the limelight. I don't really worry about being seen. I don't really worry about when people go, you need to be here. You need to be there. I'll be wherever God places me. Right. I need to be able to talk to that little girl who's about to go have abortion as a freshman in college because she slept with a guy that she thought liked and she can't tell her parents. I deal with the dude who's out here running through different women because if he feels more important when he can get everybody pregnant because he wants to see himself and all these different women having babies when he has no idea how to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And those are the people I speak to. Well, you're not going to be able to speak to a lot of those people at a lot of events because they don't come out and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm. So I got to make myself accessible and this is what I do. Now, I don't shy away from if somebody give me a mic and or says, could you come up here and talk or would you come here and speak? But I literally have churches. I had two churches ask me for the money back because they did some search and they said, well, we don't really want you to talk about the sex thing. And I said, oh, really? I said, okay, let me ask your question. You read your Bible? And they go, yes, yes. I said, okay, you, you, you read all those new, those epistles in the New Testament? They go, yes. So you have no problem with reading and believing everything that Paul wrote when he was a murderer, mm -hmm. but you won't let me come and speak because I was addicted to sex or caught up in a sex thing. Okay. But, I know, right? But you're a Christian now as Tupac says. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that's, that's the problem. But before I get to that with the, the church response, you just gave some very important points uh, to writers who may want to write their own story because a lot of people don't realize the, the journey, the depth of the journey you have to go through when you have to, in a way, relive certain things when you're writing. Yes. And you made it a point to, to know from the get-go when you decided to write this story who you're going to be talking to. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't do that. They either just want to get a story out there or they want to hurry up do this and that for whatever reason. And it flops, to be honest with you, it flops because they didn't take the time to think about who the message was for. And it's so hard. it's hard though. It's hard. And, it, and I'm going to give you a little something. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just, <laughs> I'm going to give you something to look for the next time you see and hear a lot of authors talking, watch how they're always mentioned. Know your target uh, audience or know your target market. Mm -hmm. Watch how right after that, they don't explain to you how true. They never explain to you how, they always say, know this, know that. And you know why they don't tell you how? Because it is one of the most difficult things in the world to know yes. who is going to be about, affected by what you do. Yes. 
And so authors are stuck with, I believe my work is, well, here's the problem is I'm an extrovert by nature. I talked about it in today's video when I was on is that if you're an introvert, you'll starve to death because if you don't talk to people, you won't get to know what people are about to, for you to then be able to place your bandaid on them to be able to help them. So if you're not out amongst people, then there's no way for you to know your target market because first, what do you actually offer to them in terms of service? So when you serve people is when you'll learn who your target market is because you'll see which people respond to you when you're out trying to help them with their issues, not your own. You just hit it on the head, sir. <laughs> it is. I am a teacher. <laughs> I am a teacher. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, th those are steps, you know, they don't, if you don't know, you don't know, like you said. Take the time, and that's what it, that's exactly what it means to take the time to know who your message is for. And I, I learned that myself. I think that there were women out there dealing with domestic violence and partner violence, but I still needed to define you know, my role. What exactly was my role? Yeah, I'm writing a story about it, but no how doubt. can I help it be more relatable to them or help them receive it? Mm -hmm. How can I be of help to them? So, yeah, thank you for breaking that down. Oh, no, thank you. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so any, you know, author that's listening, um, that's definitely something to think about. Now, I know your books, um, are all of your published books that you have out right now, all of those self-published? Yes. Um, all of my books have been published by me through my company um, because I wanted control of every aspect of it. And yes, any mistakes that I've made, I own that. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I self-published is because I know the way I think is not the normal as everybody else. So I knew the biggest problem I was going to have is somebody telling me what to do. And I knew I wasn't going to listen completely. Um, I didn't teach the way other people told me to teach. Mm -hmm. but I knew I wasn't going to write the way everybody told me to write. And so I decided I'll just publish it myself. And if I'm going to break some literary rules, okay, fine. I'll sell my books my way. And then as I wrote for other things and for other people, then I would follow the guidelines of what they put down. And that's how my wife and I ended up in Ebony Magazine. But actually, she was the one that more wrote the article. I overseen it and just added my pieces to it. What I found with self-publishing is you, you still want to create a quality product, but you want that even in your errors. And, and I would hear some things like, oh, this would be a five-star read if he would just clean this up. Cool. Because what you just got is free editing advice. Now, some people say, well, you don't want to put out a bad book. No, but you don't want to lose your mind trying to make it perfect that you miss your window because you keep editing it 16, 17, 19 times. Put it out. See what happens. You can always pull it back and fix it. And you'll hear a lot of people say, well, you never want to put out a bad product. You're right. But there's also a period between that 85% to 100% mark that will give you an opportunity to get it out there. See what's going on. See if the cover resonates with people. See if the work overall touches some folks. You can always go back and fix some things. Because if the work is solid, people will literally say to you, oh, I love this, but just you need to do this. this and they'll do it with compassion. Mm -hmm. it, when you put out trash, people will, because they feel they got robbed. It's another thing when somebody says, I like what you did, but if you would just do this. So if you can come away with a bunch of fours and some fives, and people will give you free editing advice on, well, you know, on page 27, you missed this, this, and this. Okay, well, let me go fix that. Because then you can easily work in your edits on your next set of books that come out when nobody even knows you made any changes. 
but because right. you simply took the feedback from that first 50, that first 100. Now, some people mess around and go out and buy 5,000 books. Well, you know, lost your mind because one of you ain't in the market. Now you got a bunch of books sitting in your, in your closet or in your garage. But if you go 100 at a time, 200 at a time, you can fix some things without having to waste a whole lot of money. And when I first thought I didn't have, well, I still don't have a lot of money, but I was strategic in what I did and how I did it. And I connected my books to one of the things I do well, which is speak. And I would get paid from speaking. So I didn't, I still get paid from speaking if I'm going to do it. Because books, you ain't going to make a lot of money um, writing books unless you get a, a large writing contract with an, with an advance that can hold you down. And that's one good book, one good year. Okay, what do you do the next year? What do you do the rest of the year if your book now starts to tail? So you need to be able to, and I just had this conversation with a guy in the bank today, you got to be able to figure out other streams of income that are connected to your book so your books can become spears that you can throw out there that can grapple onto something else that can help you. The book is not going to do it all by yourself. And that's why a lot of times I almost forget to promote my books because I try to make it about what I'm doing and as a counselor and as a teacher. My books are just a part of me. They're not the major part of what I do. Right. And I, I meant to go back to um, what you were saying about the, um, you know, how the, the church reacted to <laughs> you know, your story. So, yeah. um and that's, to be honest with you, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll, just, I'll just keep it general. What, uh, you know, you had that type of response, but as far as other folks in church who have read your work, what, type, what other types of feedback have you gotten from them? Well, I get fantastic feedback because church folks know that I'm real. And then when they watch the other things that I say and do, it intrigues them because they're like, okay, his scriptural knowledge is on point. How come you don't have a church home? Why do I need one? Right. Oh, can you hear me, Kevin? I mean, Keith, the um, sound. I'm right, religious college. Why? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. It, you have went out for a minute. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I was just checking on that. Yeah. I went to a far right college, Liberty University, um, a, Trump that, a, a college that supports Donald Trump and all that. Right. I went is I wanted to see what was being taught on the other side, and I wanted that education because I knew I could bring it back home and use it. Now, one of the things that I learned in studying the Bible is that one, first of all, most people don't read the Bible the way that they should, which is on their own, and getting a relationship with God first. That's the first mistake people make. Mm -hmm. Second is they elevate individuals in the church to positions that they really shouldn't have that the Bible doesn't support. Right. So when you don't understand what the Bible says, you don't understand when people are out of pocket when they're coming at you. So you automatically believe it because their scriptural knowledge is so on point. So, no, I don't attack people of the church. What I do is I defend myself by using scriptures when folks at the church want to come at me. So one of the things I explain is, first of all, it was church people that prompted the murder of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. Then we have Paul who writes all of the epistles because of what was he correcting? The churches that were out of control in all those places, Ephesus and Corinth and everywhere else, if you look at it. So yeah. somehow that didn't work that when we get to Revelations, go to Revelations 2, five of the seven churches were out of control because they had become carnal. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of the New Testament starts off with the church failing and, un and unable to recognize who Jesus actually was. With the end of the Bible and revelations that people still hadn't gotten to where they were supposed to be with the church. So when Jesus returns, he's at war because church folks had failed man. Mm -hmm. Because we took our eyes off of God and Jesus and made it about humans. Right. 
So when you start to say church folks killed Jesus, oh, they start to lose their mind. But I'm like, are you reading the scriptures? Exactly. Church is a fantastic place to fellowship, a fantastic place to learn if that's what you need to do. But when you have elevated your past to the superstar status, then there's a problem. And that's why some churches, when they hear me speak, is like, when well, you bringing that blasphemer in here? And I'm like, okay, wow. call, me, call me what you like. But that's the reason why I went and got a degree in health, human service counseling, specializing in Christian ministry, because it is my focus. And what I'm trying to do is that every church should have a mental health ministry because people should not have to go to secular healing when the church can take care of that. But the problem is we don't have the proper folks actually who understand counseling. That's where I come in. Yeah. Because church is supposed to be five-fold ministries, but you never hear anybody call themselves a teacher. I do. Right. Yeah, you, you never do hear that teacher title. You hear apostle, bishop, and all yeah. that. I'll tell you why. You know why? Hmm. Because it's the, it's the hardest one to defend. See, if you call yourself teacher, then everything that comes out your mouth can be proven, correct? Right. But if I call myself bishop, apostle, super bishop, super apostle, whatever they want to call them, prophetess and whatever, evangelist, this, whatever, I can say God spoke to me and there's no way to prove it. Right. <laughs> there's no way to prove what God told them. And so what, the only way to prove it is to see if what they say comes true. But as a teacher, if I now pull out scripture and say this is this and this, you can look right at it and see. So no reason why no one takes that title is because they don't want to be called out on what they do. I have no issue with it because we can walk through everything that I just mentioned to you. And I said all of that before without giving you a scripture, just telling you the location. So I have no problem with people coming at me because I can say we can sit down and walk through it. And I'll show you that where I'm coming from with it, because every good educator should be able to show where they're getting their information from. Exactly. And, you know, like you said earlier, the, the, the church has, has failed, man. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, if, with you being led by God, this approach that you're taking, it, it'll encourage people to start thinking so. back. I hope so. Yeah. Well, at least so, open their eyes to question, what are you getting from church? Church should be feeding you. If church is a hospital, right? Yeah. It should means it should be trying to heal you and getting you to go home. Mm -hmm. Not getting you to come in and never letting you go. That's right. a sanitarium. Right. So if it's a hospital, it should be healing you and going. What did Jesus say? If you understood the fish, you didn't need my help. Exactly. But yeah, you don't see that. And, yep, you really don't. So, yeah, yeah thank you for, <laughs> you know, yeah, because that's not an easy role to, to take on. So thank you for doing that. Not a problem. Somebody got to be the bad guy. Might as well be me. Right. <laughs> so with the, the self-publishing, um, you know, there's been a lot of horror stories. You know, I, I, I have one. I won't I'm going into it too much now. But, you know, dealing with vanity press and all of that. Uh -huh. Is that some of the, uh, the other reasons why you started, to, you decided to have your own self-publishing company? What yes. do you have for fraud? Right on point. Um, I looked at, I looked at what other people were spending. I looked at the deals. I looked at the exit fees that people were paying. And I just thought it was criminal. And what I realized is like anything else, people were taking advantage of the fact that people didn't do quality research. Um, and I just thought I need to be able to protect my work to be able to say what I want, do what I want. And so when I wrote my first book in 2007, published it in 2008, for two years I'm out promoting and traveling and doing whatever. So in 2009, I was at North Carolina at the No Bookstore with about four other authors from different places around the country. And we were 
talking and I gave the owner a book and said, listen, brother, anytime you need me to come back, just let me know. I got you. He said, appreciate you, KL. And the woman said, KL, you just give books away? I said, all the time. I said, any event that I go to, I always give the promoter or the owner a book. She said, I can't do that. And I said, why? She said, well, I have to pay the, the, the book company or I got to pay this amount. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't give away your own book because you got to owe somebody else money. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then when she started explaining her deal that she had with, I think it was Authors Press at the time or somebody, I think it was, I think it was Authors Press. I was like, that just didn't make any sense. So I decided that I was going to, and the other thing that it had that night was that when I said that I was getting my books published at $2 and 40 cents a copy at that time. And the woman said, no, you're lying. I said, I'll show you a copy of the, the invoice when I get back home. And I did. I scanned it. And I sent the copy to it. And she's like, how is that possible? I said, easy. I contacted three um, printers, one in Georgia, one in Tennessee, and one somewhere else. And I said, these are the deals that they're offering me. Can you match that? I would like to do business with you, but they're offering me two seventy five. What can you do? The lowest bid was two forty seven. I went with it. And what's funny is at the time, other people were having problems with that same publishing company. I mean, press company. I didn't. Then eventually I switched and went to Lightning Source because not only did I get a good deal, I just felt that they had the distribution because I got the Ingram's distribution, which allowed me to put my books everywhere. So if anybody jumps on anywhere to order my books, they can. And I found that Lightning Source was, was just a, a great deal for me. And then, of course, Ingram Sparks became the other one that I used for some of my clients as well as myself. And like anything else, it's about research and it's about being comfortable with doing business for yourself. A lot of people choose vanity presses even though they know they're being robbed because they just don't want to do any type of research or they don't want the headache of putting in that work. So it's like, I'll just pay them extra mm. to do it. And it's the same thing with going out to dinner. You know the hamburger ain't worth $22 that you just paid for, but you want the chef to cook it, somebody to bring it to you, somebody to clean up for you when you could actually go home and cook 17 hamburgers for that price, but you don't feel like cooking. Right. So you pay that extra money for it. Authors are no different. Authors are extremely lazy. Yeah. That's, and so you need to come back so we could do a whole episode. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. You, you need me, you just let me know. I'll definitely come. Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, that's very helpful, you know, cause it's, it's true. A lot of authors, myself included, in the beginning of the journey, we don't do the necessary research. And a lot of times we just don't know. So people take yeah. advantage of that. And, you know, we have to learn from that the hard way. But. And that's why I made it with my, on my website, I put the prices of all my services. Mm -hmm. A la carte, the, the package now is easy because it, it lists all the things that you get. And I just recently went to a package because it just made it easier now. And I'm at the point where I pretty much work on referrals. I don't really go out and promote my company anymore. Uh, most people that come to me were referred by somebody else simply because it's not the main focus of how I make money, but I still want to make sure people have quality service. Now, when I first started my company in 2010, I was pretty much anybody who wanted to publish books, but because I don't do um, Urban Lit and ha because I don't do um, Erotica, a lot of people would get offended by it. I said, well, look, my name is on the company. My money is invested. I don't do certain things. That's it. And I knew I would lose money by doing it, but I had no problem because I wasn't going to create books that I felt were going to be offensive to the very parents of the kids that I was teaching. Yeah. So I wasn't going to do that. And, but at the same time, I want to make sure that people have the avenues that they need to be able to feel comfortable putting a quality book out. So I have services and people from around the country um, that are on my team and I'm always looking to try to um, better. I have, I have different um, um, cover designers than I had years ago. And, and I'm always trying to, to, I just, 
talk to a young lady who agreed that she would be an editor for me if I needed her. And what I try to do is keep the money in the, in the community. I'm not just a person who talks about trying to see people of color do extremely well. I try to employ um, or make sure that the money stays in the hands of folks who are trying to do what they do, because that's another thing too. We just can't be sayers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. So that's what I do. And with my company, I outsource a lot. That's why I tell folks, oh, you got to give me is 50% down. You ain't got to pay me the rest until we're done. And the reason why is an author needs time to recoup, especially when they're not, when they're not selling books, if this is their first book. So you only have to give me 50% down. The rest you don't have to pay again until we're done. And really that 50% down goes to the cover designer and the editor. And then all the rest I'll get when we're all said and done. And when I first started, I used to get inboxes from publishers who hated the fact that I posted all my prices on my website. Yo, take those down because people, yo, I charge more than that. I don't care what you charge. This is what I charge. Exactly. And I leave it at that. And I, a lot of authors, it's been, we've worked on, my wife and I, 46 books since 2010. 24 or 25, we've taken from concept to physical form, meaning that they came to us with an idea. And when we were done, they had an, an actual physical book ready to go with their copyright in place in their name. Um, we actually set up the copyright for you. I uploaded into uh, us.gov, I mean, uh, uscopyright.gov, and then it's mailed out to you or you have your receipt that your book has been um, copywritten. I also make sure that at the time, Library of Congress has changed, but we make sure you have a Library of Congress number in your book. So two of your copies are sent to the Library of Congress, so two of your books are in the, are in the library there in Washington. So it's another form of protection because I want authors to be, their work to be protected. The only thing that we're listed is the publisher of record. We don't own any rights to your books. We don't get any profits from it. All we get is the 90 cents or dollar on the printing. That's it. Other than that, everything is you. So important to know. So, and again, you know, we, you know, we will have you back because we need to talk to you. <laughs> Not a problem. Anytime. Yeah. So with, you know, all this, information and um, you know, everything you told us, where can folks hit you up and connect with you? Sure. Well, the first thing is you always stop by my website, which is Braven, B-R-A-V-I-N, publishing.com. It's uh, not Bravin, which some people will say. It's bravenpublishing.com. Mm -hmm. That's my website. And if you want to watch my videos, I pretty much move all my live videos to my, my blog because I want to stay in control of my stuff, which is keithbelvin.blogspot.com. So you'll see pretty much all of my videos that I move, my Facebook lives and some of the Periscopes that I've done. I am on all social media networks, social, I'm on Facebook, Keith K.L. Belvin, Instagram, Keith K.L. Belvin, Periscope, Keith K.L. Belvin. You look for Keith K.L. Belvin, I'm everywhere. And the reason why, that's another thing too, with branding, everything should be connected to your name and your name should be the same unless it's taken. Yeah. So a person doesn't have to go through all these searches. You shouldn't be Apple Bottom 32 on Facebook and, yeah. and, and Sammy J on Instagram. No, it should all be connected because McDonald's is not just McDonald's in one place. It is McDonald's everywhere. Right. People should remember that. And so I am pretty much on all social media sites. My email, if you want to reach out to me directly, is keep a uh, main office. That's actually the easier one. Main office at bravenpublishing.com. Or you can always hit me up at mrkeithbelvin at gmail.com. And so uh, I do consultant work. If authors need somebody just to sit down and have this conversation that you and I are having, mm -hmm. um, 
I do charge a fee. I might do interviews for free, but you got to pay me for my consultation. Right. <laughs> um, I also do relationship as well as individual counseling. I am a, a, a coach um, and I am a counselor. I'm a crisis counselor at that because I'm an empath, meaning that I could absorb all the negativity that you put out and it doesn't affect me in any way. And then we'll figure out a way to help get you through that. So I do literary consultants, I do individual consultations, I do relationship consultations, and I actually, I'm just getting ready to start um, um, a job. Well, I actually, as an independent um, contractor with an agency here in Delaware, as a family therapist. So I'll be working with um, some very wayward and some very difficult children and trying to find a way to help them uh, reach certain goals and things of that nature. So, and I'll be an independent contractor, which means I work for myself and they'll just pay me directly. And I'll take care of my own taxes and everything like that. And so I'm going to be um, starting my consultation company, Braven um, Consultant. Um, I just have to get the LLC together and everything like that. So I already have the company that's going to pay me. So I'm actually working on my um, my counseling license here in Delaware once I can start the position. So I'm, I'm always in a position to help. I'm here. All you have to do is reach out. You can find me. But please understand, I am a professional. Yes, I will try to answer your questions for free. And yes, I'll pray for you for free. All of that is no problem. But when you start wanting the technical stuff, when you start wanting to really sit down and get to the heart of matters, I am a professional. If you're going to ask me to take time away from my family, I charge a fee for that. But I do a lot for free. I'm not one of those people who hate using the word free. But there's a difference between free and abuse. And I know the difference. And a lot of people don't. Right. And that's, that's very true. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, people will, will take heed to that and, you know, take advantage of what you are offering. Um, I think, you know, with the things that you talked about today, um, very important points, um, things that, you know, people are ignorant of. And this, this type of information will help them. So I, I do thank you for everything that you shared today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. And anybody else that that wants to reach out, I'm all about trying to help other people with what they do. That's another thing, too. Don't be scared to give to others to help extend their platform. I know it sounds crazy, but it works its way back to you. It really does. And it has to be genuine. A person has to believe that you're doing it from an honest place because then something in them creates them not only wanting to give it back to you, but wanting to do it for somebody else. And before you know, you look up. And you created the very tribe that you wish you had from the beginning. So Gandhi says, be the light that you want to see in the world. And that's exactly what I try to be every day. So I don't worry about who doesn't know me. I just try to get to the people who do. And I always say to them, like what I do, share what I do. Because if you like what I do, then you need to share it with somebody who's cool with you. Because somebody that's cool with you will like some of the things that you like. And then it's up to me to get you to support me. It ain't up to you. It's up to me to create a way. For you to support me but liking and sharing has to be the mandatory thing because if not i can't reach as many people as i like i just don't have the money or the time and so i need the help of other folks that's why i give it without no question that's right that's right and i have one last very important question right. question of all questions the popeye's chicken sandwich have you gone there never Okay. And I think it's insulting to entrepreneurs all over the place that That's people right. stand on the line like that and purchase a chicken sandwich, but yet you won't even consider dealing with individuals that are right on your page. I don't have a problem with you purchasing a chicken sandwich. Eat what you want. Right. You stand on the line around a corner for a chicken sandwich from a company that you already know is not supporting most of the neighborhoods where they put this, the, the, the places, the establishments to begin with. 
but yet you won't even do half of that. One, for voting. Two, for the people that are on your page. So how are entrepreneurs supposed to make it when you go out and buy a chicken sandwich from a company that you don't know anything about, but yet you got entrepreneurs out here that you probably could reach out to and do something. And you got enough chefs out here that if you wanted a chicken sandwich, you could not only get a better chicken sandwich, you probably would get a fresher product than what you're getting right now. But yet people are so sheepish. Yep. They'll allow, and then another thing that they did, they gave Popeyes $23 million of free advertisement. You can't be any stupider than that. So no, I'm not, if I go buy a sandwich today, tomorrow, which ain't going to be no time soon, it'll yeah. be just in the mood for it. But I'm so offended by what I'm seeing is because it's always us as people of color. And we allow ourselves to be used without asking anything in return or doing anything for ourselves. So I tell folks, stand in line, get as much chicken as you want, but never complain when you keep seeing people move into the neighborhood and set up. You know why? Because it says a fool. It says you'd be foolish not to take the money from a fool. And that's what I see people do to us. Exactly. And see, and I saw your post that you put about that, about the chicken sandwich. <laughs> and there was, um, there was an artist, I cannot remember her name now, music artist. She put her own post, I think it was on Twitter, where she said, well, is this what it's going to take? I guess we need to put voting booths at the Popeyes now in order to go get folks out there. Something well, people doing. well, people have been registering. People have been registering people to vote. They see the long lines of people of color. And actually, it was a young brother that I saw first. And now more people are jumping on the idea. They're literally going out with, with, with clipboards and getting people to register to vote. The problem that I have is that we will stay online for all of the wrong things. iPhone, sneakers, and chicken sandwiches, while we got children in cages in Flint and Newark, doesn't have clean drinking water. But you don't see anybody who will actually stand up to fight for those people. And it's crazy because they, they got offended at what she said. Yeah. They for that. So. Yeah. You know, you know what you know. You said it earlier. And it's actually, that's something that I say on a regular. You know what you know. It's actually from the, uh, from Riddick, the movie. I saw that when he said, you know what you know. And I've held on to that. And also, we're sheep. 85% um, of the world is sheep. A lot of people don't want to admit that, but we are. 85% of the world is sheep. The other 15% are either shepherds or wolves. The problem is the shepherd and the wolf are the same person. It all depends on what their mindset is. And you won't know the shepherd or the wolf until they show you what they are until the last minute. So right. you can say that you're close to the shepherd, but often we find out that we've been laying next to the wolf the whole time. There you go. All right. So we, we can go ahead and wrap it up on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, you shared so much valuable information today. Definitely would love to have you back. Anytime. Uh, yeah. So thank you again. Any any one-liner or quick word of advice for yes. a becoming writer? Yes. Be, be honest about your skills. If you're not where you need to be, work on it. And also learn to be extroverted. Open your mouth. Be on social media. Be on video. Be on audio. Always have your mouth open. People want to know who the author is long before what you write. You, what you write can introduce them to you. But you should be introducing to yourself to the world so the world can go, wow, where do I get your books? And go from there. All right. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank and, you so um, much. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely have you back. And, you know, God bless you. Best wishes you too. everything that you're, you're working on right now. Thank you so much. And anytime that you need me, love, just reach out. I got you. It's not a problem. Okay. All right. So I'll connect with you offline. Thank you again. Sure. You have a great night. Thank yeah. you again. Uh-huh.